0: Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, coming at you once again uh, for another installment of the show. If you are just tuning in for the first time ever, uh, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, and a little bit of a business spin on how all those things make sense in the marketplace. Uh, and today, I think we have sort of the i'm gonna I'm gonna call you the mayor of of, of advertising. <laughs> um Nancy Hill, say hello, Nancy. Hi. How are you? i'm good how are you i'm good I've, i have i'm having one of those days where i woke up at like 1 30 on the couch and then i haven't been back to sleep yet so
1: oh, that's always fun
0: the, you may get the weirdest version of me today so my my apologies in advance um i guess for for starters let's do like sort of the the 60 second version of who nancy hill is and uh, I'll, I'll take that from you if you don't mind
1: Okay, no, I don't mind. Um, (laughs) Hi, everybody. I'm Nancy Hill. I'm the president and CEO of the 4A's, which is the American Association of Advertising Agencies, and we are the voice of the agency community, um, both in Washington and at large, Um, and we're here to help our members um, help their business grow.
0: Um, Why does does the agency world need a, a 4A's?
1: Um, that's a really interesting question. Uh, every every type of industry, I think, needs a trade association to speak on its behalf when the individuals can't speak for themselves. And let me give you an example in the agency world. Um, with a lot of the, the work that we do, um, sometimes it's the kind of thing that a client might find a little bit contentious. And so if an agency itself were to speak out against this kind of behavior, um, they may put a relationship that they have with a client at risk. Whereas if we speak out on behalf of the industry for bad client behavior, not necessarily naming names, but at least on, uh, na- talking about bad behavior, it's not like an agency is putting themselves at risk. It's it's us speaking on behalf of the community. Does that make sense?
0: No, it's, it's great. It's, I mean, it's almost like the... because uh, As I was actually walking into the studio, I'm like, it, it's kind of like a SAG or after, right? Like, you know they do stuff, but you don't quite know exactly... What- what they do um but that's i mean that's a great context and and yeah
1: i think the difference is we're not a union sure um so we don't do um that kind of uh, work on behalf of our members but yeah probably that's the closest analogy you have to a trade
0: association that's great um and it's interesting that you get into sort of like the that world and the practices of fairness, right? Uh, There's um, a a paragraph I read in sort of your your charter where it says, we hold that a responsibility of advertising agencies is to be a constructive force in business and that advertising agencies must recognize an obligation not only to their clients, but to the public, the media they employ and to each other. Um, So not only are you talking about the ethics from client to agency, but also, you know, within the industry at large, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, no, that's very true. Um, I, we, um, we also participate in um, an organization called the Advertising Sale Regulation Council, which helps to regulate the um, the messages and the industry in terms of whether we are being ethical, uh, fair, and unbiased in the messages that we put out there.
0: That's great, and and how does that? how do you deal with uh, because i can imagine with the volume of agencies you guys have um which are it's pretty massive i read that you represent about 80 percent of the advertising volume uh in the u.s so you know how do you deal with those um the violations in that particular regard right like if when these are happening and like you say you don't name names but what happens is there an issue you know a letter issued that goes out to everyone or um is it a phone call like what what Happens? How does that actually come to fruition?
1: Well, we the four ace doesn't actually get involved in that as much as the ASRC does, which is a separate entity that we participate in. So typically, what would happen? I'll just give you a typical case. You would have two head-to-head competitors. Let's say two wireless carriers and one carrier is claiming to have the most coverage in the United States and the other one is basically saying that's a false claim. The, the second company would bring a charge, or not necessarily a charge, but a case, against the first one and then they would have to prove to the ASRC that the claims that they're making are true. Um, and the ASRC would work with the two parties to see if they can resolve it. If they can't resolve it, then sometimes it gets kicked up to the FTC.
0: Got it, got it. And so, um, you know, just a- along those lines, outside of sort of the regulatory things that kind of happen in that in that regard, you guys do a ton of programming around around the year. Uh, Transformation, I know. You also have Create Tech coming up. Um, yeah. Kind of just walk us through some of the, you know, some of the types of programming that are a little bit more, you know, business knowledge focused yes. uh, and, and knowledge sharing focused.
1: So, um, you mentioned Create Tech, which is next week here in New York. Um, we like to describe that as um, where the industry goes to get its geek on. Um, and the reason that we say that is because Chick Foxgrover, our uh, chief digital officer who programs that conference for us, has somehow managed to figure out how to find topics and speakers and put them on the Create Tech stage a year or two before they end up on South by or CES. He's, he's such an, uh, an incredible thought leader when it comes to tech, the um, cross-section of technology and advertising and how it's being used that it's really a, a don't miss conference for a lot of people who are at the forefront of how those two things come together. So that's next week. Um, The next one coming up after that will be in February, which is a one-day data summit, which is also being held here in New York. And that's really to dive deep into uh, the topic of data, how it's being used both from the media agency standpoint and the creative agency standpoint, um, and what responsibility we have around that data, both um, from a standpoint of how we work with our clients' data but also how we work with data in the context of privacy. Then the next one after that, which is March, is Transformation, which you alluded to, which is our big conference. This year it's going to be in Miami at Lowe's. Uh, I'll be there. March- Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, I said I'll be there. You, you okay. sold me. You had me at Miami.
1: There you go. It's uh, South Beach, and it's uh, March 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Um, and I think that, um, you know, again, this is the, the kind of high-level leadership uh, conference that we um, are known for. Uh, we have everything from the kind of speakers that you would see at TED to the kind of speakers that are really important to you as an agency person in your everyday life. And hopefully providing you with some knowledge and some tools as you walk away from a conference like that. That conference usually gets about 1,000 people. So it's our biggest one.
0: That's great. Uh,
1: and then throughout the year the other uh, conferences that we have one focuses on talent leadership so it brings together the chief talent officers from around the world really to talk about the battle for talent that the industry is undergoing Um, another one that we do is our strategy festival which is really targeted to the planning community and the strategy community, and how um, strategy is evolving over time, and the impact that um, data is having, that talent's having on the strategy part of it. But it also includes an award show um, for the best uh, uh, strategy papers uh, with regard to how the strategists develop the the platform from which the creative is. Um, developed so those are really you know the high-level conferences that we have on a regular basis two or three times a week we're doing webinars from here right now cindy Gallup is doing a glass ladder series for us which has been hugely popular Um, It's really targeted at helping women to help themselves get ahead in this business. Um, But we also do things like topics of how to write a creative brief, how to follow the money um, inside a client organization, um, how to make sure you're getting compensated fairly, et cetera, et cetera. So, wide range of topics, all of which are um, posted on our website. And um, for members, it's relatively low cost, but non-members benefit from it as
0: well. Now, w- with all the stuff you just said, <laughs> right, <laughs> which is uh, like it's, it's, it's massive. Um, it's the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> exa- and I, I figure that because then there's seminars and there's workshops and there's yep. just information sharing. You know, how do you, either you as an individual or you as an organization, like stay abreast of like what's going to be, re- I realize the chick fox grovers of the world exist and they're part of your team. You know, how do you go about like selecting what are going to be the important topics both to address from, you know, your regulatory? perspective as well as programming a, you know a multitude of moments that are you know geared towards information
1: well it really requires us to spend a lot of time with our members talking about the challenges that they face, the issues that are important to them, and the topics that they really want us to um, bubble up to the surface. Um, And let me give you a a classic example. Uh, Let's see, this is 2015. Late 2009, uh, I was in a meeting with Bob Greenberg from RGA, and he brought to my attention uh, an issue that was really starting to plague the digital agencies known as patent trolling. And um, he said to me, it's not going to be a problem for other types of agencies yet but it will be and it's something that i think the forea's needs to get out in front of so sure enough we first of all we did go out and get ourselves as educated as we possibly could on the topic and what what it was all about but sure enough within Uh, 18 months to two years, everybody was facing the the issue of um, clients demanding that agencies indemnify them against patent trolls and getting letters of assertion from the patent trolls, Um, and it was a really hot topic for probably about two and a half to three years and we attacked it on a number of fronts we attacked it from the standpoint of here's what you agencies should be doing to protect yourself as you're negotiating these contracts but we also work very closely with people in washington to educate them on why uh, patent reform was such an important topic and uh, I'll never forget sitting across the table from uh, Chuck Schumer senator from New York and having a discussion that we do fairly regularly with him and at the end of the discussion he said well let me just give you a couple of other things that I'm working on he said the first one is intellectual property but that really doesn't affect you guys and I about went across the table Adam, <laughs> and let me tell you why it affects us And, you know, he's been a real champion for patent reform because he recognizes the importance, especially in his um, home state of New York, for protecting those people who are dealing in intellectual property. But again, that's how these things get floated to the surface. Somebody brings it to our attention and says, I think it's something you guys need to take up.
0: Sure. No, that's great, and it, it, you know it's it's interesting the amount of things that are overlooked or oversimplified that right. you know that affect the agency world. Now I kind of wrote this uh, when I joked about you being the the mayor of the advertising industry. Uh, you know, it's like you're governing a staff that governs a number of agencies that govern brands that reach masses of people, and you know consumerism, especially in the U.S., is drives everything. So, like, it's a really important role, and I, I don't. think think, to kind of to your point, people realize the number of things that touch the advertising world, you know, patent trolling is thought of a lot in you know in the startup community where it's like okay, i know somebody's going to build an app to that's going to be help people navigate around malls or whatever. Um and then they go and buy that patent and and so but no one ever thinks of it from the advertising perspective. How you know, how have you been able to to keep that filter? You know, it was like because there's a vast number of things to look out at in the world and then you go like is that going to affect us is that going to affect us and, <laughs> and how do we address it right it's a, it's well, a big job. you
1: know i think the interesting thing is that P- Patton is a, g- a great example and it's the reason i brought it up is that w- w- we aren't just making thirty second television spots we haven't been doing just that for a really long time we make things on behalf of our clients in many instances i mean if you look at the work that's been done to um, help facilitate store locators online or facilitate pizzas getting delivered and tracking those pizzas we're, we're making digital applications and th- that's when you really start getting into territory that agencies back then five six years ago weren't familiar with because it's not something we ever had to deal with. We dealt with trademark and copyright, and those two things are actually very searchable. There are databases out there where you can type in a tagline and you, it'll come up whether it's been taken and trademarked by somebody else or not, or the copyright. But you can't do the same thing with patent. So again, looking at these things as they come up in front of us, we we make decisions, and I think we're, we're right, probably 95% of the time, as to Whether this is something that's going to affect our community or not.
0: Did you make a bet on laser discs at any point? <laughs> you're Like look, everybody, come to the Laserdisc conference. Yeah, um, it before my time anyway. <laughs> um, well, speaking of before your time, the uh, you know to put this all in perspective for the audience, and and just something that kind of blew my mind was the fact that this has been around since 1917.
1: Yeah, we're coming up on our hundredth anniversary.
0: Um, well, do you have any, any 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 interesting plans for the hundredth anniversary?
1: Um well we've started planning. Um we've got a, a lot of ideas. I think we want to make sure that we do it right. Um we don't want to discard our past, but we want to make sure that we're looking forward. Um so it's a delicate balance right. and we're trying we're trying to figure out what's the right way to approach that. You know, again, the history is really important. Um but we don't want to be seen as uh, you know, living in the age of madmen.
0: Right. Well, it, no, but it, it's interesting the the fact that, you know, it's I think a hundred years really just kind of, for me, kind of blows my mind, right? Like, I'm like, what was happening in 1917 or 1910 or whatever that, you know, because you, you think about the amount of time it took to get this actually together. And I think there were 111 founding, you know, members. Yes. So uh, so there, I think you should do something on January 11th, 2017. Oh, that's interesting. See? All right. Free, free idea. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, you know, what... I guess kind of, again, striking that balance as you look to the future, you know, um, what are some of the things that you that historically the organization has always found to be true? Right. Whether that's in how we reach consumers or just how agencies operate. Um, There's a lot of thoughts around the business models. But like if you kind of looked at the hundred year history of a forays role in advertising, what would you say is like a, a thread or two that's always common and ongoing?
1: Well, with regard, I'll do it in two parts. Um, With regard to the industry, I think the thing that you can look back on is that, The agencies are incredible storytellers, they've made a huge difference in brands and as such they've made a huge difference in the economy of the United States. Uh, Advertising is the engine on which the economy runs because without advertising and marketing businesses don't thrive. And So I think it's something that our industry loses perspective on every once in a while that we are an important part of the economy of the United States from a 4a standpoint the common thread for us is that we are ever evolving in order to meet the needs of our membership and being able to advise them on the right way for them to go about conducting themselves in business, whether that's um, agency client compensation arrangements, whether that's making sure that they're recruiting and retaining the right people, whether that's um, the right way to make sure that you have a succession plan in place if you're an independent agency. So it's a real gamut of things that we um, have always done, but those are the things that I think are the most important to our membership.
0: Uh, that's great. When you when you think about like the, you know. Disruption. And I've heard for years the agency model or people within the agency world saying the model is flawed. That, you know, oh, like we're you, the way it's set up is we're, we're getting money from client X, then we're hiring up for that particular account and vice versa. But there's so many things that agencies want to do. And there's been a lot of disruptions, whether within, you know, small or large agencies, like, hey, we're going to set aside, a, you know, an invention team like Deutsch has or, you know, other groups that are like out there experimenting to try to keep up with what's going to happen in the next next 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen a lot of disruptions, you know, in, in terms of the agency business model? And, you know, or, or do you see us heading, heading in a direction where um, that, uh, that problem is kind of solved?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, you know, I don't think it's ever going to be solved because I think we're living in an age that um, you can never say, okay, I'm done. Uh, I remember somebody asked me, actually it was I was being interviewed by Donnie Deutsch for something a, a few years ago and he said to me, Nancy, you've made a lot of changes to the forays and you've brought a lot of um, modern thinking to the forays and the way that they go about doing business. Do you think you're done? And I looked at him and I said, no, you can never be done because the minute you think you're done, you're done if you know what I mean. Right. And so I think that the, the the agency model is going to have to continue to evolve, and it's going to have to continue to evolve based on the client demands, the technology that's available, the way that consumers are are um, interfacing with all the messages that we put out there or that, that, that um, we ask them to respond to. Um, and I think that that's the, the hard part, and it's also the exciting part at the same time.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a it's a tough area to to play, and it, you know one of my favorite quotes is like you know conclusion is only where you stop thinking, right? right. And and that's any business. Like okay, this is what we're going to be doing, um, but you know when you have uh, in the hundreds of, of agencies that are participating in this, you're seeing sort of this constant kinetic uh, energy around how we're you know, approaching clients businesses. Um, so uh, I noticed that you are lady uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and you've gotten all sorts of accolades for your performance uh, you know in, in your role and prior to the four A's um, you know from advertising ages uh, 100 most influential women in advertising history <laughs> um, <laughs> which is uh, you know that's a it's a it's a big thing what do, I mean what did the accolades mean for you right and and you mentioned Cindy Gallup like Cindy's been a guest on the show and I love the position that she takes and I know the three percent conference just happened, but you know from your perspective, what did the accolades mean and and it, I, got, I guess I'll just leave it to you at that.
1: So um, I just received an award over the weekend from an organization called the Marcus Graham Project which is um, run by Lincoln Stevens and it's uh, an organization that doesn't just promote diversity in the industry but actually trains uh, young people to go into creative departments who come from multicultural backgrounds. And he gave me uh, the boomerang award. the The name comes from the movie that uh, Eddie Murphy was in, um, and to thank me for the dedication from the beginning of their organization. And at the end of the the uh, my acceptance speech, I said, you know, I accept this on not just my behalf, but on behalf of the four A's, because I can't do my job without the people here who do their job every single day. And and I mean that because. I think this team is an incredible team. The value that we um, provide for the industry, as you said, large it goes largely unnoticed. Um, but I think you have to think of us like um, electricity. If it wasn't working, you would definitely notice. And I think when we get when I get accolades, um, I'm proud of it because it means that the 4A's has done something for the industry that has got, that has gotten noticed. Um, then the second part of that question that's sort of there, but without you asking it, is the, the, the fact that I'm a woman. When I first took this job, um, all the reporters started their conversation with me about, oh, you're the first woman to have this job. What's that like? And, and um, you know, there was some allusion to the fact that I may have gotten the job because I was a woman. And, uh, you know, there are very few people who have the kind of background that I have Uh, I started my agency career in Baltimore and I worked at an independent agency there for 10 years. Then I went to TBWA in St. Louis and then I got recruited. I got moved from TBWA St. Louis to TBWA Chiat Day L.A. Then I went to San Francisco and I ran another independent agency there. And then I got moved from San Francisco to New York when that, that agency was mo- merged. And then I was at BBDO and then I was at Lowe. So I've worked all over the country. <laughs> Sounds like and it. I've worked in every kind of and manner of agency. And there are very few people with that kind of background. And oh, by the way, I happen to be a woman.
0: Uh, I mean, that's a pretty extensive... <laughs> agency focused career and you don't you don't hear that a uh, a lot right no. um w- why have you stuck with it for so, for so long why not go and start your own thing or some passion project or maybe this is your passion project but you know like some people are like oh i'm i'm I want to make christmas sweaters and i've had this business for <laughs> for this idea in the back of my head like why have you been the person that stuck with it for so long
1: um so when I left Lowe, I had some time on my hands. Um, it was a time in which um, we had lost a huge piece of business that got consolidated at another agency, and and I went to the worldwide CEO and said, you know, I'll go so you don't have to lay off a whole bunch of people, just honor my contract. But that gave me a little bit of freedom in terms of taking some time to figure out what I wanted to do. And in the meantime, I had the then-chairman of the 4As, Tom Carroll, calling me and leaving me voicemail saying, you need to take the job at the 4As and hanging up. Um, You're the brief. You need to take the job. And I, you know, I thought to myself, oh, trade association, really? I don't think so. <laughs> Dusty. you know, It's not my thing. And um, I had people who were talking to me about uh, a lot of different jobs and some people talking to me about doing a startup, and I could have done that. Um, But I took I took some time for myself and I, I have a house in Ecuador and I went down there by myself and I did some Spanish immersion classes and just spent some time really thinking through what I wanted to do next. And, you know, it's it kind of dawned on me that I had been one of those people complaining about the four A's and that maybe I could make a difference. So when I came back from Ecuador, I tossed my hat into the ring um, and went through the selection process, and now here we are. Um, But the reason I did that is because I love this industry, and I love the people in it. Um, I've loved every single minute that I've been in this industry. I've never not liked my job, and, um, and I can say the same thing here. So, you know, that's I know that sounds a little cliche and trite, um, but I really mean it.
0: No, it's true. It, like it, it's it's interesting because we've uh, out of a hundred plus episodes, right? You know, most people go through some form of transformation, right? Where it's oh, I was a salesperson and now I'm inventing the future, right? It's right. You, you find these sorts of individuals, which that was actually Ari Popper, who's one of the keynotes <laughs> at Create Tech. Um, but it, it's it, it's interesting, and I think that it sounds like the transition for you was kind of being almost on the other side of the business, if you will, because like you said, it's that dusty. Like, oh, do I want to be a teacher or do I want to be on the board? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, it, but, and uh, the other thing you touched on is sort of. Any agency person, in my eyes, is a creative problem solver. By like, by definition, by job description, like we were helping our clients to figure out a new way to do something or a new way to reach people, and and let, that is a creative problem that needs to be solved. And you took that and solved a problem that you are facing yourself, and it's like a, it was an opportunity right in front of you. Um, have you done a good job so far? <laughs>
1: Well, you'd have to ask our members. I mean, I'd like to think so. Um, but again, I don't think I'm done. So, you know, we still have a lot of work to do, and the, the, the landscape is ever-evolving, so it keeps us busy. But I also will say that um, I think that it's really it was really important to me throughout my career. I, I worked largely with technology clients, um, and I kind of fell into that early, early, early in the 80s. And it, it really served me well from a career standpoint that that I um, rose up the ranks um, working by working with technology clients because it kept me on top of things that um, a lot of my counterparts uh, who had the same number of years of experience who had been working on package goods accounts did not get. So because I worked with everybody from AOL to Cisco to Motorola to LucasArts to um, the the large enterprise software companies like PeopleSoft and Sybase, um, I was always at the cutting edge of um, technology and being exposed to it, but also I was working with the the kind of um, advertising that was going to appeal to their their customers which was not necessarily the big splashy thirty-second television spots so it, it meant that you had to be really resourceful and you were using a very sharp pen to make sure that you were getting to the right audience at the right time with the right message.
0: Well, along those lines, that's, that's a great, you know, again, kind of speaking of the transition point, you were role resourced and probably the, you know, obviously the ideal candidate for for the role. You know, there's a book that I love, which is, I think it's called The First Time Executive. And mm-hmm. it talks about when people go into roles, like there's a large percentage of C-level executives that fail within the first year at a, you know, at a, in a new environment. Uh, but what it talks about in like chapter one is get in there and get a win. And the organization also has to set you up to get that win. Um, what was the first win that you had, you know, kind of stepping into the, your role there?
1: Oh, um, technology. Uh, I, 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 I can't stress enough. Let me just give you an example. So the week before I was going to be voted in, um, which was a little bit like, you know, there's going to be a puff of gray smoke coming out of the Chrysler building after the vote. <laughs> but um, uh, I got a call from the head of HR and she said to me, uh, we want to get you set up with, you know, your laptop and so on and so forth. What do you need? And I said, oh, um, you know, a MacBook Air. Here's what I want loaded on it. And there was dead silence at the other end of the phone. And then she said, well, nobody here is allowed to have a Mac. And I... Thought to myself, uh oh, this is worse than I thought. <laughs> um, and then she said, But I guess with you coming in, that can change. And I said, Oh, yes, it will change. I do not use PCs. So um, I, that was my first indication. And then my, the, in that same conversation, I, I had, at the time, the, the iPhone wasn't out yet. I had just gotten a new uh, Blackberry, and I said, I'll bring my Blackberry, and we can just put it on the network. And she said, Oh, here everybody's using a Palm Trio. And I was like, Oh my God, what am I walking into? <laughs> Um, and the reality is that you know for whatever reason and this is no ding on him but my predecessor didn't care at all about technology he he and his assistant were still using one of those big doctor's offices calendars Um, so just getting the organization to operate on technology platforms that were modern and that were a mirror image of the way that our members operated was a pretty big but also pretty easy win um, because it was something that that um, it was right in my sweet spot so um, actually one of the first hires we made was Chick um, and we had never had a, a high-level strategic digital person in the organization and, and that really elevated our game in the digital space right away um, and so that was, a, that was a really easy win. but on a, And that's an operational win. But then publicly, get, I, you know, I had been summoned by the heads of all the digital agencies, who I knew most of them, and they, they were all ready to go set off their own thing. And they said they would give me a year. Um, and if we didn't get the organization um, up to speed with all things digital, that they were going to go start their own trade association, well, they're all still still members. Wow! And that's seven years later. So you know, those were those were pretty big, but also pretty easy wins. To be fair.
0: Well, yeah, that uh, kudos to you. It is finding those like uh, operational efficiencies. If you can help make everybody's job better, <laughs> right, is is, right. is is great. And then that reflects in the output that you know the agencies would experience and go like okay cool she's she's doing she's doing okay so far
1: <laughs> so far <laughs> well, the so other th- the other funny thing is we're probably about 60% mac now too
0: oh wow <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I'm on a PC now, and I, like it just uh, it uh, you know it it saddens me sometimes. Just yeah, to, to... me too.
1: Well, it's funny because when we were having te- technical difficulties at the beginning of this, for some reason my Skype wasn't working on my um, laptop. So the guy that was helping me, he's on PC, and I'm like, oh, you have to type. I can't use this keyboard. I don't even know how it
0: works. <laughs> like, uh, what is it? Is this a is this a computer? <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm going to go back to the diversity conversation. A little uh-huh. bit. Uh, there was a tweet that you put up recently. It says, "What holds women back in the workplace? The behavior and attitudes of men. What holds men back?" The same answer <laughs> uh, right which which uh, again this is a kind of a concept it's a simplification of like we all sort of just respond to people in certain ways but uh, you know what what has been your experience thus far with the you know with diversity whether it's from a forays perspective because i know there's some like diversity talent training and so on and so forth and obviously like, i'm very familiar with the Marcus grand project but um what have you experienced either in your own career or just through the forays lens that kind of lends itself to the problems and solutions with diversity
1: um, well you know in my own experience uh, God I started in this business in the 80s it was very different um, and and there weren't a lot of women in senior leadership roles if any and I don't think Shelly Lazarus was even the CEO of Ogilvy at that point and it there really wasn't anybody to look up to and I, and I have to tell you that a lot of my female friends who started in the business at the same time I did are lo- no longer in this business and many of them have asked me over the years how can you still be doing this um, but what I what I found over the over time is that I was always true to myself and I never felt as long as I never felt like I had to compromise either my own personal uh, moral code or my own personal being a woman, then I was going to be fine. But I think, you know, that's very easy for somebody who's six foot tall and um, pretty confident from being a competitive swimmer to say. And that's not going to hold true for every other woman or certainly for people of color to, to feel like they have that kind of um, ability to just, you know, do what it is that they need to do to be successful. I think the hard part for the, the, quote-unquote diversity problem in the industry is that it is deep-seated there are many reasons why it continues to be a problem Um and and one of the things that I've always said and I and I said this in my speech on Saturday night when I first took this job somebody said to me oh, are you gonna hire a chief um, diversity officer and I said no that's my job I have to be the chief diversity officer because if it doesn't start at the top the problem doesn't get solved Right. And people have to see that you're dedicated to solving the problem as the CEO, um, and and that means that you have to not only talk about it, but you have to deliver on it. And there are many ways to deliver on it, but I will tell you one of the most tried and true ways to deliver is to employ the Rooney Rule. Do you know the Rooney Rule?
0: No, I do. I do not. I know okay, Mickey, so I know Mickey Rooney. If it has no, to- no.
1: This is um, <laughs> Rooney, who was the commissioner of the NFL at the time. Right. Um, The NFL was sued by, uh, there was a class action suit brought against the NFL by a group of African-American coaches because they didn't feel that they were being given a fair shot at the high-level coaching positions. They won against the NFL, and as part of that suit, um, the settlement was that, um, as part of that settlement, sorry, that there would be a Rooney rule every time there was a high-level coaching position open, and what that rule means is that when you're looking, you're looking at a slate of candidates, at least one on that slate has to be African American. That doesn't mean they're going to get the job, but that slate of candidates has to include at least one. And that's one of the things that even before I came here, when I was at Lowe, I always made sure that the slate of candidates for any job that was going to be reporting to me had a diverse slate of candidates. Otherwise, I'm not done looking at um, the people who are available. And I think that's 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 one way of solving the problem, but it's certainly a really strong way of solving the problem.
0: Well, I've always wondered, and I I, I am an African American man. Um, like why? And I've I don't know if I've a blatantly experienced any sort of like. Um, lack of diversity, right? Or just miss that. Maybe, maybe something happened behind closed doors that I don't know about, but I, I'm always wondering, I don't know if you have a thought around this or not, but like, where does the, why does the gap exist? Like, you know what? Like, why? Is-
1: uh, you know what? Because inherently people are lazy and you know, it's a lot easier to hire somebody who uh, looks and acts like you do, whether that's on paper or in person. And you know, typically what ha- well, I'll just give you an example. Typically what happens is account guy A, and I, and I, I mean guy on purpose, um, who runs a, a automotive account, decides to leave and go to another agency. Oh, my God, we have to replace this person. And they've got to, they, it's got to be a guy, and they've got to have automotive experience, and they've got to have had this. And have, guess what? That's a relatively small handful of people. And they're all going to look exactly the same. And until we break that mold and say, okay, this might be an opportunity for us to bring in somebody from a completely different category who can bring a different way of looking at the problem um, and not feel compelled to just hire, you know, put the square peg back into the square hole um, because that's the easiest way to plug the hole, then we're really never going to change it. We're just going to move the same people around over and over and over again.
0: Right. None. And I
1: think until until we start looking at our hiring practices differently we're not going to solve the problem.
0: Also, you know, through the lens of this show it's it's all about innovation and a lot of one of the common themes that comes up is the idea that innovation comes from having diverse perspectives represented in a room, right? Absolutely. When when you're looking at that whiteboard and you're trying to solve problem X is like Joe from Seattle who has a ponytail and tattoos is going to have a different I don't know who that guy is I just made him up. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I should look for him um, but he's gonna have a very different perspective than you know the, the 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 Hispanic woman who grew up in Detroit right like just kind of and finding that middle ground is kind of like that's when you start to get into the sociology of archetypes right if you're trying to reach an audience um and you're and as the, as the world is slowly moving away from 18 to 24 year old male right that almost doesn't mean anything anymore right it's a it's more of a psychography that we're tapping into and right. there's a lot more melding that's happening than i think people are taking notice of um so uh, there's a there's a paragraph in your bio that kind of like made my head spin so I'm going to try to read it and then I'm going to ask you a, a, a tough question about it. Um, currently she serves on the board of directors of the partnership at drugfree.org, the ad council, the national advertising review council, torch, ad color the Digital Advertising Alliance Advertising Self-Regulatory Council, the Markets Grand Project. She's also a trustee of the University of Mountain Union in Ohio and is an active member of the Board of People Helping People, an organization that builds schools and sponsors children for further education in Ecuador. Um, I don't know how you have time to, to do your job and these things? Uh, and, and, you know, If you could just touch on time management and maybe that t- also ties into a little bit of your personal brand. It sounds like you're a champion for a lot of issues and a lot of individuals. Um, but how does that list of, I don't even know how many things it was I just read, but <laughs> how is that accomplishable?
1: Um, so, well, let's, let's separate the, the personal from the professional. So, along with this job come some of those board seats um, and and uh two most notable well, three most notably are um, partnership at drug free Ad Council and the um, Advertising Self-Regulatory Council, Um, those those came with the job. that that When I walked in the door, they were part of my job. Um, Things like DAA, which is the Digital Advertising Alliance, um, that was a joint uh, partnership with the IAB and the ANA that we developed together, Um, and so then the three of us automatically became part of the board. There's a new one called TAG, which is Trustworthy Accountability Group. Again, I make Time during my workday for those um, organizations because they are part of my job um, but I also am um, very happy to serve on those boards and, and make sure that um, the industry voice is represented on those boards. When it comes to my passion projects like the Marcus Graham project and like the work I do in Ecuador I I, have, I come from a long line of educators um, I my father was a lawyer but everybody else in my family my grandparents, my brothers and sisters, everybody's an educator. And so education always been incredibly important to our family, as has um, volunteerism. So it's kind of part of my DNA to be involved in those things. And it's also been incredibly rewarding for me.
0: That's awesome. So far, you and I have a couple of um, off- offline things in common. One is uh, I've been swimming for maybe the past 20-plus years. I uh, just had my first master's meet a couple of weeks ago.
1: You did. All, I no longer go in the pool. Um, I did, I swam <laughs> uh, all through college and decided that that was it. I uh, Although I'm, I'm, I've got some injuries now that might require that swimming is my only cardio. So I may be back. Who knows?
0: I'm, see, I'm approaching my 40th birthday. So I'm like, uh, pool it in. Is. I don't need to play <laughs> basketball or try to run down the street. Um, stay in the water. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, less injuries. Uh, and then my mom was also a teacher for um, almost thirty years, so um, so I, I understand where you come from. Where did where did the where was the leadership stuff instilled in you? You know, um,
1: um, you know. I I think I was always first of all, I'm a first child of four. Um, and I think that you know very early on, because I was the first child, my parents got me into anything and everything because, you know, we're experimenting on her. We don't know what's going to work. And, you know, I was involved in Girl Scouts and I was on the swim team and I took piano lessons and flute lessons. Uh, They put me in ballet. That didn't work out so well. The teacher called my mother one day and said, you know, you're wasting your money. She doesn't like it and she's not very good at it. So I would take her out of that. Um, But... You know, I think I think and I come from a really small town. Uh, it's thirteen thousand people in a county of forty thousand in the middle of a forest in Pennsylvania. Wow and everybody knows everybody so you there's no getting away with anything. You certainly can't lie because everybody will know in a minute whether you're telling the truth or not and i I think that. Uh, you know, and everybody knows my dad, and I look just like him, so I couldn't get away with anything if I wanted to. Um, so I think it became really important to me early on that I was going to be one of those people that could, you know, hold my head up um, and and go through life feeling like I did the right thing. And I, I think if that's the way I, um, that you would sum up my leadership style, that you know I will always try to do the right thing.
0: That's amazing. Um. So uh, as we begin to wind down a little bit, the show is called Innovation Crush. I hope somebody told you that before you before you got they on. They did, there. of okay, course. All right, great. So, <laughs> um, what have you seen? Because you've seen a lot. Um, you know, from technology to maybe just a cultural movement to a, a social occurrence. I don't know. Um, that you are currently crushing on. Like once one thing you see out there, you're like, oh my gosh, that is so awesome.
1: Uh, You know, I'll I'll come back to that in a second. There's something that just happened yesterday at a conference where Rashad Tabakawala was speaking, and he talked about the year that changed everything. And in that speech, he talked about 2007. And the reason he talked about 2007 is that that was the year that the first iPhone was introduced, and it was the year that Facebook went from .edu to .com.
0: Wow. That,
1: I thought that was amazing to think about.
0: It that's, is. I mean, that's, that is the entire world's connectivity right now. To, I mean, if you, or a lot of people's. <laughs> connectivity. Exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. And, and those two things at that moment in time, we had no idea that those two things were going to change the world as we know it. And the fact that, that. Both Facebook going from edu to dot com and the iPhone being introduced happened at the same time really says a lot about what's happened over the last eight years. Jeez, yeah, and I, I found that really fascinating. And, that is and, fascinating.
0: I mean, that's that is that is the year it all changed. I, and it, I, I it remember is. I had a I had a I was a director of marketing at the New York Film Academy, and um I had literally I put them on Facebook. I was kind of like you did, like move them into the digital age. And that was when you needed a .edu, and it changed like later on that year. So yep. I remember it very distinctly.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 a pretty cool thing to think about. And if, for anybody out there listening. Um, Rashad Tapakwala is somebody you need to be following on Twitter. Uh, it's just, he's just an amazing thought leader in our industry. And he's, he's not afraid to say what nobody else will say. And he's also not afraid to prognosticate a little bit. And he's generally right.
0: Well, I'm afraid <laughs> to say his name. Can you spell it?
1: Uh, tobacco Walla is T O B A C C O W A L L A. So it's like tobacco with Walla on the back
0: of wow, it. Wow! I was wait. You should have saw what I wrote down. It was uh, all right. <laughs> Got it. And his
1: uh, first name is Rashad, and that... he's uh, he's with Viviki.
0: Got in, it. Oh uh, yeah. Chicago. Okay. I, I know exactly what you. I know. I I just did not know how to say his last name. Thank you. Yeah.
1: And um. Yeah. And you know, going back to what am I seeing out there that I'm grooving on? Um. You know. I, I, there was something just the last couple of days. There's been a lot going on about um, social media is not real life. Um, and I think there's a, a little bit of a break being put on. Um, the the whole sort of craziness around social media which I I think is a good thing um, I think you're starting to hear a lot more parents talk about no phones at the table uh, you're hearing a lot more people talking about you know call me or you don't exist uh, I think we got we let things get a little bit out of hand um, the reality is that it's not going anywhere anytime soon but I think we owe it to ourselves as a society to make sure that we're being responsible in the way that we're using all
0: these tools That's great. No, people genuinely want to connect. I mean, the social media in its early stages at post.edu, what, you know, definitely brought us together and spanned the globe in terms of distance and being able to say happy birthday to that nephew you forgot about and you don't know where he lives. Um, but we kind of, that became a crutch to, to to an extent. And so, uh, moving forward, I'll be sure to heart a couple of your tweets. (laughs) uh and then um last but not least if you can complete this phrase for me okay innovation to me is
1: something that is has never been done before and is inherently useful
0: way to sum it up that's great that's really great uh how can people find you find out more about the forays and all the other things you have (laughs) going Going so, on.
1: So our website is AAAA.org. Um, so that's fouras.org. dot Um, That's uh, the way to find the organization. Um, Certainly, the organization is on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram uh, and probably virtually anywhere else you want to look. My handle on Twitter is at NH Hill because my middle name is Howard, which is where the H comes from. And and try being a 13-year-old girl with a middle name named Howard.
0: And six feet tall. like And uh... six feet
1: tall. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, So if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's how you find me.
0: By the way, do you guys ever get any phone calls with people asking to for their car to be towed. Oh.
1: No, but funnily enough, when I first got here, our logo looked a lot like theirs. It looked, I, I swear, I was driving down the street and I went past a, a AAA store and I looked at the logo and I went, oh my God, if I put one more on there, it looks just like ours. Uh, <laughs> it, it,
0: th- thus your second win. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Changing the logo. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for your time and the conversation. This has been great. I 100% appreciate
1: it. Oh, you're welcome, Chris. Anytime.
0: Uh, everyone, this has been another installment of innovation crush and we will talk to you next time